Welcome to Advancing All Women with Sarah Alter, President and CEO of Network of Executive Women. On this show, you'll hear top executives and experts talk the most pressing topics for women in the workplace. From advancing women of color, to developing and engaging male allies, to how to navigate the new workplace post-COVID-19. Sarah will cover it all as she and her guests dig into these key issues. Now, here's your host, Sarah Alter. So in the spirit of our new name and brand, next up... In today's show, we're going to dig into how we should be focused on the future and how it is our responsibility as leaders. And as leaders, we need to be navigating today and supporting our teams and our organizations by planning for tomorrow. And one clear way that you can do that is is through your company's commitment to ESG, Environmental Social and corporate governance. And as always, I spent my Thursday night prep time for our show on Google, which I must add to that Google is probably one of our partners. And thank you, Wikipedia, for the following. So I'm going to I'm going to try and paraphrase this because it was an 18 page definition. Environmental, social and corporate governance, ESG, is an evaluation of a firm's collective consciousness for social and environmental factors. So it's typically a score that's compiled from data that's collected surrounding these specific metrics, these intangible assets within the enterprise. So their commitment to the environment, to society, and to to corporate um, governance. And these three categories or this overarching approach is used then by socially responsible investors. So investors who consider it important that these organizations or these stocks incorporate the values and concerns and then form investment decision based on them rather than just profit, right? Because it's always about ROI. And we see that research shows that, hey, by focusing on these intangible assets or these strategies, it, it, it comprises then or it makes up an increasing percentage of the future enterprise value. The S&P agrees and, and it says that, you know, in investing, you can see material impacts on a company's performance when ESG is present in their overarching strategy and that the investors then benefit because one, they're helping the environment, society and so on but they're also then going to see increasing financial returns at the same time. So it's like a, a twofold strategy, profit and ESG, and they go hand in hand because the one begets the other, right? So it was coined in 2005 in a landmark study entitled Who Cares Wins? And it was a conference, I guess, that first brought together institutional investors, asset managers, buy side, sell side, global consultants, government bodies, and regulators wow, powerhouse, um, to examine the role of ESG and how those value drivers do drive asset management and financial research. So, okay, this is where it gets interesting. In less than 20 years, it's grown. And in like, for example, um, in the year 2019, a surge of capital totaling $17.67 billion dollars flowed into the ESG-linked products, and almost 
0.5% increase from 2015, according to Morningstar. There are critics, though, and the critics call this greenwashing, right? And they said that, you know, they say, hey, ESG-linked products have not had or are unlikely to have that intended impact of raising the cost of capital. All right, so let's quickly unpack the E, the S, and the G. So E, the environment, right? So it's companies then that focus on the climate crisis, right? Um, You know, managing waste, your carbon footprint, environmental sustainabilities, that's focusing on limited resources, those raw materials. Social, right? S, society. That's where you see, and this is this is near and dear to my heart, the focus on diversity, um, human rights, consumer protection, right? That whole buyer beware. And then last but not least, animal welfare, which also has a special place in my heart. And then the last corporate governance is management structure, employee relations. You know, are you one of the better companies to work for executive compensation? You know, is it tied to ESG? And then as equally important, equity, employee compensation. So those are the statements and the details and the definition that Wikipedia has provided. But what you're going to hear today is I have a lineup of the most brilliant of guests, and they're going to make you all the wiser in this overarching concept. They're going to have a discussion and provide you with the insights and the best practices for ES strategies in your own company. I'm Sarah Alter. I'm the host of the Advancing All Women radio show and podcast and proudly the CEO and president of Next Up. And my incredible lineup of guests is we have Catherine Pickus, VP of Sustainability and Global Impact at Tyson Foods. Alex Krusel, CEO of Telesto Strategy, and last but not least, Sage McLaughlin, Senior Corporate Alliance Manager at Duke Energy. Um, good morning, everybody. Welcome. Good morning. Good morning, Sarah. Hi, everyone. Great to be here. I know. Great. Thank you. Alrighty. So um, we kick it off the exact same way every show. Tell us why you are here other than you politely accepted my invitation or you were voluntold. Um, You know, what's that personal and professional connection, the ESG? And Sage, let's kick it off with you. Yeah, thank you. Um, Sage McLaughlin from Duke Energy. Um, I kind of grew up in the startup world. And then when I moved into energy, it was really around data analytics. And so, when we talk about ESG, obviously it's a score, there's data storytelling and a number of um, components in that. But then um, during COVID over 2020, I moved into a new area where we're, where we're working on corporate alliance. And so what that means is partnering with Fortune 100 companies to identify the ES and Gs that are important to them um, and make sure that we're lockstep as an energy provider to deliver what they're going to need in order to accomplish their goals. So ultimately, ESG is a really interesting area. Um, as you said, it's it's grown yeah. a bunch and it's grown more than 200% in just the last 10 years. In 2020, when we saw COVID, we also saw social distress with police brutality and climate change and mm-hmm. all of that really collided. And it put 
industries in a position where they had to have a chief sustainability officer or their departments were the folks that were going to have the power to actually influence how industries thought about environmental, social, and governance integration. And the great thing about this and, and how it works so well with this group that we're talking to today is it's typically women who are taking on the role of chief sustainability office officer. Um, in fact, 54% of uh, chief sustainability officers are women and ESG yeah. is often the driver of the deliverable from that. That's yeah, and it 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 what I love about it too is and, and as you can imagine being, you know, the CEO and president of a nonprofit, um, but it's it's your why isn't just about making money. You know, your why is about serving others, you know, serving the earth, you know. And 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 when your why is is altruistic, I, I have a sign behind me. It says, when the cause is noble, the universe aligns. And so that's when you focus on ESG, you make money, right? <laughs> well, yeah. And I think ESG is a strategy. It's about mitigating risk as well as creating value. Um, specific to the energy sector where I'm from, energy touches everything. Um, so we have to transform the way that that actually benefits society. And we have to commit to a future that offers reliable, accessible, and affordable clean energy for all of our customers in the areas that we serve. So a driver for that is a transition to low or zero emission fuel sources, obviously investments in our community yeah. and to develop and prepare the diverse workforce, which, as you said, ultimately delivers the long-term value for our stakeholders. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Catherine, welcome. I'd love to hear your, your your story and journey that got you here. Yeah, it seems like I've been at this for a really long time. You know, <laughs> I was in preparation. I was thinking back and I wanted to say, oh, I started my work in ESG in around 2004. But then I, I paused. I'm like, well, wait a minute. It was really the work that I did prior to that that opened up my eyes about the role of business in society. So I had come to business in a very you know, atypical way. I started my career in Washington, D.C. at the State Department, working on democratic institution building programs. Then I went to the White House and I did U.S. Sub-Saharan African policy. And it was my visit to a refugee camp in Malawi. Um, it was during um, a, a, a a flee of, of Mozambique refugees coming over the border into Malawi and the UN had established a refugee camp and they needed everything. They needed education, they needed housing, they needed food, they needed yeah. just support. And I looked around and I just stopped in my tracks. I said, where is the private sector? And now granted, this was a hundred years ago when Thomas Jefferson was president and you know, <laughs> there weren't the kind of NGOs and-, and oh, you know, I, knew, Bono I, I, I knew him too. <laughs> but it was, but you know, Ibana was still playing the rock concerts. He didn't have one, yeah. and all of a sudden, I, I went back to the White House and said, "I called a, a corporate partner that we had been working with on, on an issue in Nigeria." I'm like, "I know what I want to do. I want to go to a company and help them take their resources, not just financial, but their know-how and their ability to build economies and economic opportunity and work inclusively." Mm. And and change and it start to change the world. And I was young, and he said to me, "Is but big pause." He said, "Nobody will ever hire you to do that." And I was like, "You know what? I'm going to prove you wrong." And it took a minute, um, but but you know, I started down the track of working, um, you know, in in the corporate America. And my first job 
in that role, the CEO said, you know, I know you want to do all that stuff uh, about, you know, impacting society, but can you talk to the press? I'm like, oh gosh, yes. And so I started there. And then a week later, he's like, can you handle the foundation? And oftentimes it was the foundation route where where women in particular started to think differently about the levers that they could pull, not in terms of like taking this on separately from the business, but demonstrating to the business the impact that they could have and how to work in resource poor settings or emerging markets and the strength that they could have. And then you translated that into, okay, now we need a long-term business strategy that really embedded some of these new models because sustainability ESG is about transformation. And maybe that's why so many women are in it, because it's a blend of, I think, yeah. diplomacy, disruption, and 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 also, I think, um, just some risk-taking. So I think, um, you know, I think that that's where there is the ability to kind of wander into new space, carve off some risk, and try to do things that really drive business growth by resetting how business operates. And it is about disruption. So that gentleman was clearly wrong. <laughs> For all right. of us. Yeah. But never say, because- never say never. Don't ever say nobody. Like yep. that, puts, that lays the gauntlet down, right? It sure does. <laughs> sure does. Motivates you. But I think, you know, change for business is hard. And I think yeah. that takes a little bit of, you know, kind of diplomacy and, um, you know, strategizing and demonstrating that what's possible. Yeah, and it's. There, I always draw this parallel. I've I've done it in our in our world where we focus on one aspect of it, the S, right, which is the whole diva, you know, diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, and accessibility. And I draw that parallel to when that you know crazy concept called the World Wide Web first came out. It wasn't until people could clearly connect and 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 quantify the business return. But they're like, oh, yeah, we have to do this. We need to invest in this, right? And so that same thing happens with ESG. It's like, yeah. okay, well, show me the business ROI. Sure, I'll invest in it, right? Um, so so on that note, um, Alex, tell us about your most recent adventure where you, you are focused on how to make that happen, right? For sure. For leaders and companies, you, you, you connect the dots and show them, oh, there is ROI. <laughs> there is. And, you know, like people have said, it's a journey and it's not going to happen overnight. And it didn't happen overnight for me either. You know, I'm here today professionally and personally because I know what my purpose is. And they say, you know, when you have a true purpose, you have no choice. You know, you have to follow it. And for me, it's all about ESG and connecting those dots and thinking about this on a global scale. So, you know, I've dedicated my career to advancing ESG for one really important reason. And I do think it's worth mentioning and it's deeply personal to me. In 30 years time, when we are at that that nexus of 2050, where we must be at carbon neutrality to keep global warming to 1.5, I want to be in a place to look at both of my daughters in the eyes and said, look, I did everything I could. Yeah. And that's where the world's at. This is the moral imperative of our times. And for those of us who grew up in business, it's taking a step back and saying, wait a second, we need to think of another way and we need the courage to make it happen. So that's why I'm here. That's why after going to a big firm, And then going to a boutique, 
thinking, okay, I can make a lot of impact at a boutique and really drive the thinking in our field around corporate strategy. It turns out my firm wasn't ready for it. And said, you know, my ideas were not the ones worth investing. And I said, okay, I'm stubborn. <laughs> I'm going to go somewhere else. And that's how I launched Telesto. I said, why not take a bet on myself? Yeah. Wear my purpose on my sleeve, and I haven't looked back. And you've grown exponentially. We're growing. Share that. Don't be it. humble. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> no, we're growing quite a bit because businesses yeah. realize that it's more than just a moral imperative. Although that's front and center, it makes business sense. Yeah. Yeah. And so we have partnered with a number of organizations and continuing to see so much opportunity in this space because the time is now. And especially post or sort of pandemic stabilization time, people are realizing we need to be open to new ways of doing things. The rules have changed. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's because I was just going to say, Alex, why? And Sage and, and, and Catherine, I'll loop back to you on this as well. Like, why has it exploded, you know, exponentially? Is it just because businesses and leaders are like, oh, yikes, how do I grow now? You know, I've used that lever. I've used that lever. What's that next growth lever? Is it that? Or is there just this heightened consciousness and morality? Um, why Why do you think, think it's exploded? Alex, I'd love your thoughts on that. Sure. Well, I think you've hit a lot of the points. Um, you know, A, there's a moral imperative. Business is no longer black and white and it's no longer just quantifiable. We have to be okay with subjectivity, and new space of new dimensions and qualitative aspects to business. Two, it's a perfect storm of these different pillars of pressure. We're seeing it on a regulatory basis, be it in North America with the SEC and disclosure requirements that are forthcoming. Also, the Brussels effect is a real thing. Europe's leading the way, and there are about 500 discrete different types of regulation, um, decisions and directives that need to be followed if you do business in the EU. And a lot of multinationals based in North America do that. So it's often easier to start building systems and operating models that work in those environments. The public wants this. Employees more than ever want to connect to purpose. Investors need these quantifiable outcomes. Mm -hmm. And then we've committed globally to the Paris Agreement. So the SDGs, we need to live and breathe them. I'm going to pause. I'd love for others to jump in, Sage and Kathy, to hear yeah, it, it will say, I'd love to ask you this. You you shared these great stats of like the lion's share of the good majority of the leaders in this type of role are women. Why do you think that is? I think it's a number of reasons. Um, as as Catherine said, uh, what what's happening is they're pushing for diversity and they're pushing for diversity in the C-suite. And so a new role comes up of this chief sustainability officer. And they're saying, this is an area where we can bring diversity in, but also you can carry a pretty heavy load. Most chief sustainability officers, I think it's over 53%, carry more than one title, be it the head of foundation or governance or something else. And so um, I think in the coming years, we'll start to see um, more C positions coming out that are uh, kind of branches off from this. But I think it's women, both because there's the the diversity angle of ESG naturally opens a door for us. Um, we're, we're willing to carry the weight of a foundation or the governance because it's so important to 
what the company does and, and the future of the company. But additionally, I think there's just a, there is all of the things that Alex and Catherine talked about. It's a moral thing. And I think we can tap into that pretty quickly and say, oh, I want this to scale. I want this to level up and I want it to be part of my impact. Um, I just read a great book by Heidi Grant that was talking about reinforcements. And it said, people don't want to be happy and avoid pain. They want to make an impact and they want that impact, even if it comes at their own expense, to matter. And I think we're feeling that a lot right now. Yeah. Um, Catherine, how about you? Thoughts on yeah, that's, I think, you know, going back to your question to Alex, you know, I think that companies see this as a competitive imperative. You know, they're seeing that not only are investors, you know, requiring, you know, in additional disclosures, the creation of long-term strategies with time-bound goals and metrics, but they want to see engagement. They want to see business engage with NGOs, with government, with consumers to think about how to transform, how to tackle some of these prickly issues, whether it be packaging or access to nutrition in a collaborative way. And, and there's strength in that. There's strength in terms of building these new ecosystems that deliver value both to the, to the business, mm-hmm. but society. This is no more about just doing good. This is about really positioning companies in a way they can be on the front foot of competitiveness. And Michael Porter, you know, from Harvard Business School, Absolutely. said it so well. And it was very early on when my when I it started in 2004 in the in the corporate sector. And I remember um, reading him. He said, you know, people don't care about what you do with your wealth. They care about how you make it, and they want to make sure that you're not violating human rights, that you're treating people fairly, that you're there. There's pay equity, that you're thinking about not just what happens in the four walls of your business, mm-hmm. but what are you sourcing. What's upstream in your value chain? And then what are you doing collaboratively to address issues like access, affordability? And, and that's where business, and, and if, you, if you think about it, take it one step further, think about the Edelman Trust Barometer. It was just a couple of years Absolutely. ago where yeah. businesses were named, you know, they had all the different sectors, government, NGOs, and, and all of a sudden, People are thinking, we want to hear from business. We want to hear from business, not just on things that are, you know, with regard to their industry, but issues Mm -hmm. that society is facing at whole because there's credibility. And, you know, that's additional um, pressure, but it's an additional opportunity for businesses to lean in. I'd love to build on that really quickly, Kathy. That is so true. Businesses are so uniquely positioned to make the biggest impact. And it's really remarkable. If you think about it from different lenses, some of the biggest companies on the planet have market caps that are bigger than a lot of big countries. And so compare Apple with Indonesia, so you know, their market cap yeah. to GDP. And who has better brand? And no offense to Indonesia, it's a beautiful country. But who has better <laughs> digital systems? Who has, again, bricks and mortar across the world in the way that Apple does. And again, they can move and unite and change hearts and minds on a global scale quickly and in a meaningful way if they choose to do it. So again, when I thought about where could I make the most impact for me, corporations are an incredible partner in all of this because of the resources that they can avail, the ingenuity that they have, their digital infrastructure, and so much more. So Kathy, I think you raised such an important point. That is so fascinating, Alex, what you just said. And it, 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 you know, and I, and I think about it, you know, we, um, 
we are always forever preaching, like, don't ever feel guilty about privilege. Only feel guilty about your privilege if you don't leverage it to serve others, right? And so these corporate organizations and leaders, it has to be embedded then, you know, in their mission and and in in their strategy. Wow. Um, The other interesting thing I was just thinking about is, um, you know, you can always tell the importance of a role or a strategy by where they place that role, right? Like, is it reporting into someone who reports into someone who reports into someone who, you know, (laughs) or is it part of like the executive C-suite team, right? And, 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 and you probably, one of you probably knows these stats better than I do. In, in most cases, when this role is being brought into an organization, is it starting at that top, at that C-suite or executive level? Kathy, this has been your area for a while. You probably yeah. have the better answer. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's interesting because, you know, I, I was just writing a note that, um, you know, that's one of the questions on most ESG surveys is what is your role and where are you in position to power? Would you, how many steps away are you from the board and the CEO? And, you know, right. this is a kind yeah. of function that needs to be. Now, I report into a G- chief sustainability officer, John Randall Tyson, who um, now has, now he's the EVP of strategy. And I love what that signals, right? That signals yeah. that sustainability, yeah. ESG, is a part of business strategy. And we have the ability with the, the support of the executive leadership team and the board to go about designing and implementing that kind of strategy. But it is absolutely necessary that these jobs are are, are right there at the strategy design and implementation level. Sage. Yeah, one of the things I, I I know in our organization there is um, you know close ties between the C-suite and everything we're doing there. But one of the gaps that I think is still kind of missing industry wide um, across multiple industries is how many direct reports and how much budget does that chief sustainability right. officer more have important. to work with? <laughs> and we're just not there yet. It's uh, I think twenty four percent of chief sustainability officers only have two direct reports. Um, and then their teams have to fill out. It's difficult. Yeah, yeah, yeah no. So we are going to take a quick commercial break because we don't want to break the energy and the flow of this conversation. I love it. I want to thank everybody who's been listening in today to our Advancing All Women radio show and podcast. You can always check us out at nextupisnow.org for more information on Next Up and all of our shows. Um, When you come back, we're going to talk about best practices. Like, how do you bring this to life as a leader and within your organization to deliver this pivotal impact? So go grab a cup of coffee or tea, and we'll be back in just a couple of minutes. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. Network of Executive Women is a nonprofit dedicated to advancing all women and transforming our workplaces through the power of community. We are a growing community of more than 13,500 professional women and men, representing nearly 900 organizations across North America. We are a strong, collective voice for everyone in the corporate world who wants to see gender equality become a reality, and we welcome all who champion our cause. Members of NEW gain access to a broad network of like-minded professionals dedicated to women's equity and leadership development. 
Corporate organizations also gain access to DEI solutions, which fosters a more inclusive and productive work culture. Plus, members can engage across news 22 regional communities and attend two annual national conferences, which bring together the strongest minds in DEI and leadership. Join Network of Executive Women today. Visit newonline.org slash membership to learn more about becoming a member of NEW. That's newonline.org slash membership. Our thoughts and feelings not only affect our own lives, but the lives of everyone around us. Find new meanings of love, authentic expressions, and better connections with the people in your life. Tune in to Love Light with Dr. Jean Marie Farish. This program will feature guests and discuss ideas that will bring a better life to you. When you find this perspective on love, it will change everything. Listen live every Friday at 12 noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. There are lots of unanswered questions about life's problems, and this is especially true about spiritual life. Why can't we see God? Why is there evil in this world? Why does God let bad things happen to us and to others? Can we get divine help? Join Carl Mollison and co-host Brian Kelly for Get Wisdom. They have new answers from the Almighty you need to hear. And listening could definitely change your life. Tune in every Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Advancing All Women with host Sarah Alter. Want to learn more about the show and about Network of Executive Women? Visit our website today at newonline.org. That's newonline.org. Now, back to Advancing All Women. Welcome back, everybody. You are listening to Sarah Alter and the Advancing All Women radio show and podcast. And I am joined today by Catherine Pickus, VP of Sustainability and Global Impact for Tyson Foods, Alex Krusel, CEO of Telesto Strategy, and Sage McLaughlin, Senior Corporate Alliance Manager for Duke Energy. And in today's show, we are discussing the importance of and best practices for ESG strategies for all leaders and companies. So welcome back, everybody. All righty. So, um, so, Kathy, tell us about Tyson Foods and how they approach ESG. Love to sure. hear that. Yeah. And, you know, I am new to the company. I joined about seven months ago and I was recruited to to put a long-term strategy in place. And I am thrilled to be here. And the good thing about this is I'm not starting from scratch. There are some tremendous, you know, programs and initiatives underway and a good foundation to build on. But what the senior leadership recognized at the company is that there needs to be a long-term strategy with time-bound goals and metrics that are really guiding and embedded in the business that really can get us to where we need to be for the long term. So 
you know, when you think about the tools and how a company goes about doing that, there are a couple of best practices, right? And we started with materiality. We wanted to go inside of the company and outside of the company to, to map our impacts and to get insight from investors and NGOs who were working in our space of regenerative ag and mm-hmm. access to nutrition and all kinds of other issues pertaining to DEI and say, what are we missing here? What are your expectations on us? And from there, we have got great research. We did a thorough evaluation of our operations and our supply chain, and we started to map and gap the risks and opportunities to create value. Where we are right now in the strat in, in the strategy development is really identifying those goals and putting those those plans in place for the long term. And this is done in partnership with the business. I'm not sitting onto the side with a big team. Right. I I try to keep my team small because I see the business as an extension of my organization. We can't do it on behalf of the business. We have to do it in partnership with the business. Our job is to bring the insights, the analysis, and the information so that they can make informed decisions. And that's where we're going to plot out um, our work. You know, it was interesting. I was talking to an investor last week and you know, she said to me, you know, a lot of companies are claiming a lot of things about sustainability. Mm-hmm. And what we want to do is we want to see transparency. We want to see robust reporting. We want to make sure that you give us some context. Tell us how you're getting um, to some of these goals. And we know that it's not all easy. So don't just share the good news, share the challenges as well. And so we're putting forth, you know, we look to the next um, sustainability report where we'll really, you know, announce and roll out the details of the strategy. And what we've also determined is that we can't do it alone. The key is about partnerships. And as we lean into some of these new initiatives, they are not, they're, they're co-created from the very beginning with the insights of some of our best NGO partners and government partners, as well as working again with some of our customers, because they are really in tune with where the consumer mind is headed and what they want to see when they show up at, at the grocery store or you know, you know, ordering food from a restaurant or looking at what they're what they can do to really make an impact by advocating for brands that take sustainability and ESG seriously. And our um, our, our comp- like compensation packages are, are the goals embedded. Oh, absolutely. Com- absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. People's goals. Yeah. And it was just, I was just working with um, the colleagues saying, okay, how are we doing? We need to demonstrate kind of where are we falling short? Where are we succeeding? And at the end of the year, Everyone's everyone's compensation it will be tied to yeah. to these plans, and now we have to figure out how to disclose this information in our um our filings to the SEC and with our proxy, et cetera. Yeah. So and, improved and I, disclosures. Yeah, and I know this is on, on public record. What are the top two priorities? Would you say? Well, we I, I can't give that away right now because we just <laughs> we've just finished materiality. But look, stay it's tuned. Gonna, <laughs> it's going to be about the intersection okay. between planetary, human, and animal health. It this has Got to it. be now. More to come on that in terms of how that shakes out. But it is really a great opportunity to, for transformation and, and positive impact. All right, so there's a part two to the show. We'll have you back. <laughs> I'll come. Happily. Excellent. So Sage. Let's let's hear about Duke Energy and how ESG unfolds within your great organization. Yeah, well, and and Catherine, I'm not at all surprised that um, you know you said you're seven months in at Tyson. That's what we're seeing across all industries is 
Um, the sustainability folks are new to the, the new uh, companies. So we're seeing big changes. Anybody who had sustainability in their title has probably moved companies in the last two years. And that's across all industries, which is super fascinating. Um, so Duke Energy is one of the nation's largest holding companies um, as far as an energy provider. Uh, so ultimately, our focus is a lot on the environmental side of it. Um, specifically, we want to make sure that how we're responding to risks proposed by or posed by the climate, um, as well as what opportunities there are, that's essential for us. So um, some of the things that we do in our organization is we're regularly talking about our path to net zero. Um, our, some of our goals are to make sure that um, we're accelerating that transition to renewable and sustainable energy. And part of that is fully exiting coal by 2035. And we have the largest coal fleet in, the, in America, in the industry. So that's a huge undertaking. And then we also have a net zero carbon emissions from electricity generation in 2050. So the E is very loud and proud in our ESG, Absolutely. which we talk yeah. about a lot. But the social responsibility is important as well. We have a workforce that is retiring. I mean, our company is 117 years old. And so we have a large workforce that's retiring and we want to make sure we're bringing in a workforce that we're training locally and we're hiring diversely. But more so than that, we've also um, incorporated uh, what we call pathways to inclusion. So we've had over 500 internal meetings where individual contributors and small groups that include our C-suite and our EVPs come together and talk about things that are happening right now. So a closed door session about how are we feeling about police brutality and George Floyd? Mm -hmm. How are we feeling about an aging workforce? And it's candid, open conversations about what's happening in the time in a safe space where we can talk freely. Um, and then going back to what Catherine said about uh, transparency and accountability, uh, we host annual ESG investor days. And this year, it'll be in October. And that's where we share what we're doing and what it's going to take for us to do more, as well as our long-term business strategy. And so we just want to make sure that we're being transparent and accountable and that we are opening the door to conversations. But yeah, it's a partnership. A lot of what I do is work with other companies um, to make sure as they're thinking about renewables and, and emissions that we're having those conversations together. So Alex, it, it, you had shared this stat with us as we were all getting ready for this fabulous discussion um, that 74% of most organizations don't have a plan. Clearly, Tyson Foods and Duke Energy do. Um, talk to us about that. That's sure. exactly what you and your phenomenal team do <laughs> is to help build that plan. <laughs> That's our goal. You know, we realize that it starts with, with corporate governance and board competency and capability, as well as that in the C-suite. And the reason why there's not necessarily strong plans in place at the highest level of the organization is because there's also a lack of experience at the board level around these topics. So one of the mm -hmm. first things that companies need to do is look at their board composition. Do they have the requisite competency, capability? Do they have the hearts yeah. and minds who know and feel these things? Because again, there's this emotional, moral imperative to it. Do they have that drumbeat at the board level? If not, it's gonna be an uphill battle. It's not impossible, but it's gonna be very, very hard. From there, right, then we go to strategy and that plan. And 74% of organizations say they don't have a plan or they're not confident in the plan that they have. And so that means 
we need to think of a new planning structure. You know, Kathy, I love reading about your your work on shared value. That's the ethos of Telesto as well. We need a new structure and a new way of thinking about value generation. In addition to shareholder value creation, we need stakeholder value creation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And to do that is very hard. And it's not, I mean, there are playbooks, but we don't have hundreds of years of doing this. Right. So we need also leaders who are willing to take risks and think about the long term. And then they need to get started. Kathy, you mentioned the way that we often recommend is with materiality. You need to identify what is material to your core business, what really matters related to this rainbow of ESG, where there's mm-hmm. you know so much that one could do. And then you need to be focused and you need to find a way of getting started. And it has to be more than box ticking. Again, if it's box ticking, it'll get you somewhere, but it won't get you to where you need to go. And so those are some of the things when we work with partners that we start off and and thinking about. If there's not that attitudinal alignment, though, we know that we're probably not the right provider for that that company. So that's uh, something that I think is really paramount. And we're seeing so many companies step up and, and, and sort of joining this, this huge, huge movement, I would say, and effort globally to really do this in earnest. And, yeah. and I just want to build on Alex. I mean, you know, what she represents is that, that external expertise where, you know, people can come in, look over your shoulder and give it to you straight. Where are you, where, where are you not understanding? Where do you need support? Mm-hmm. And where do you need the, 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 the data to help inform the decisions? But, you know, don't go it alone. Um, there are organizations out there. And one of the, the tricks that we've deployed many times is, is creating an external advisory council so that senior leadership mm-hmm. and the, the organization has access to the voices of some, some people who have led the way on this. I've worked so, in the past with Jane Nelson from the Harvard Kennedy School, who, you know, is like the mother of sustainability ESG and the value that they bring, the partnership and the accompaniment that they bring to organizations that are looking to transform is really important. Yeah, no, so true. Well, and it's interesting too, because as you unpack, you've got E, you know, S and then G, right? And like the governance to, to pick up on what you just said, Alex, you know, that you you have control over. Yeah. Right. Like as a leader or a leadership team, you can control that because those are decisions all in your purview. Right. You know, the E, you may not be able to control all of the dynamics at play. <laughs> and same with the S, maybe 50 percent of it, you can 50 percent, you can. And so there's that shorter term ROI and then there's the longer term ROIs. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Sage and, and, and Kathy, do you, do, like if you were to say ESG, are they all of equal priority in your strategies or is there differing prioritization depending on what's going on in the world? <laughs> I think it's a great question. And for us, environment is so big because energy uses so many resources that are ultimately need to continue to evolve and, and energy is evolving. I think in the coming years, you're going to see a huge pressure on G. I think if E and S have been the focus for so long, and I think G is really coming forefront. Yeah. Um, for us, it's it's not all within our control. It's just like environment right. and social. There's so many variables. So we have to work with regulator uh, regulators, policymakers, customers, stakeholders, 
And we have to make our vision a reality. I think a big part of that is being open to exactly what Catherine was saying, having candid conversations. And we're having it about energy policy state by state, um, and then recognizing the unique differences between yeah. a state that has hydropower versus one that has high wind opportunity um, and ones that have been ran on coal for a long time. And so um, yeah. there's a lot of governance that goes there, but I think it comes back to transparency and accountability. If ESG is just really getting its feet under it in 2020 or 2022, then the data and the scores are not going to be great to start with. These are the before pictures. This is saying, this is the first time we're looking at these metrics. It's going to get better, but we need to be very transparent about where we stand today in order to make those improvements. And I think that's why governance is going to get a lot more attention as we go forward. Yeah. Sage, and I would, I would just love to build. I think that's why, too, leaders must know what they're in store for, too. Getting started is one thing. And, you know, Kathy, again, yeah. to the materiality assessment, it's good to do that. But then you have to know you're on the hook. There's a transparency then, a mechanism that's ongoing mm-hmm. that your employees will look for year over year. You can't just send an email and say, look, we have a recycling program and you've done it. You know, that is <laughs> yeah. not... Enough to satiate very, very smart people who are very, very concerned. So this onus on leadership of, okay, once you get started, what does that look like? And, you know, Sage, you're so right. They're they're getting started now, but leaders need to know what they're in store for and have that support and be equipped to navigate this journey because it's it's a long game. Yeah. And a, and a pivot as needed, right? So it's like what I'm what I'm hearing you say is that governance may need to flex depending on the dynamics at play from an environmental or a social perspective, right? And we all learned that lesson these last two years, right? We had to, we all had to learn how to be different leaders, you know, yeah. and even just live our lives, you know, differently. So you clearly, sure. you know, you clearly have to flex from a governmental perspective. Um, Kathy, what are, if you were to share, you know, we always try to, leave our listeners with like two or three best practices. And, and, and I'm going to go back to you, Alex and Sage too, but what, what is that key best practice, that success factor you've seen play out at Tyson Foods so far? You know, um, there are two things. One, number one, this is hard work. I mean, this is to Alex's mm-hmm. point. Um, it is, it changes hard and people aren't always comfortable with change. And so you're going to need to stay the course. You need to, you know, use those diplomatic, disruptive and detective skills to, um, you know, get in and understand, but you're going to have to influence and, and, and really help raise the company's sustainability IQ. So get help. We advocate for what's happening demonstrate what success looks like, but also, and in, in this goes back to kind of what brought us all here, pay it forward, you know, identify those emerging leaders inside your organization, mentor them, support them, help train them, really make sure that you, you're leaving an organization that um, that is not just top down, but bottom up, you know, and middle up and down, that is just embedded in the value of ESG and sustainability. Sage, how about you? What would you say? Yeah, I think it's, I think it comes back to don't go at it alone. It's not checking boxes and it's not transactional. 
um, it's, it's a strategy. And that means thinking of the ecosystems you touch, who is your supply chain, where are you getting, um, where are you touching things and, and how can you think about that as a, as a holistic system? Um, one of the fun things that we got to do uh, with AT&T this year is uh, you, they wanted to talk about energy and they wanted to talk about wind and, and how can they clean, mm-hmm. um, just make sure they're using renewable energy. And so in addition to working with them to secure a wind farm, we also joined in that, joined with them to do a joint scholarship to train a diverse workforce to cater to that wind farm and keep it operation operational. And then on top of that, AT&T reached out to universities as well as Microsoft in combination with Duke Energy. And together we committed to working together to find a way to help customers across all of the boards reduce their emissions by a gigaton. So it's neat when you can have partnerships, but don't make it transactional. Think through each section of the ESG, think through what your goals are and the areas that you're experts in, and then come to the table open to have candid conversations and and kind of lay it out there to to figure out how to be innovative and do it better. I am so absolutely fascinated anytime I drive through a wind farm. Like I, I, I think I might've shared this with one of you. I'm in Chicago and anytime we drive through Indiana, um, you know, there's just this stretch of miles and miles and miles of wind farm. Okay. And I promised I would never do this on a show. It's a cold call, but do we know what percent of energy today in the United States is delivered through wind farms? Well, specific to to wind, I don't know. Um, I know, you know, we have goals around uh, renewable energy and to continue to increase the amount of renewable energy. Um, I think I don't, I don't want to say any metrics in case I get it wrong, but yeah. uh, I'll Google it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. All right. So Alex, how about you wrap us up here with your, your two or three best practices that everyone can take away if they don't have this type of a strategy in play. Um, And if they do so that they can make sure that they are delivering delivering optimally on it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think Sage, Kathy, you both said it very well. Um, Keep it simple, focus on ambition, your action and advocacy. And then just a reminder, especially to women, and especially to women who are starting off in this career path, Mm -hmm. even though women have had a disproportionately smaller role in creating some of these problems on the global scale, it will be women who have a disproportionately larger role in solving for them. So I'm just thrilled to partner with you all and uh, commend the work that's being done. So if we aspire um, for this type of a role or adventure, what should young women study? What would you say? Well, I look, I come from, I think, you know, there are, you know, degrees now that have the technical expertise, but I will always go back to make sure you have in your career a variety of different perspectives. You know, I have, you know, government in my background, you know, exposure and partnerships with NGOs, those have really helped me along the way. So a diverse background, get out in the world, understand and have those different perspectives about how people live and what business can do to make a positive impact. Yeah. Yeah. My background is in uh, communication studies and data storytelling. So really, as we're talking about metrics, being able to understand them and, and talk about them in a way that doesn't make it intimidating. 
um, I think is important. But whether you are an attorney um, or you're coming from sustainability mm-hmm. or finance, this touches everything. Um, mm-hmm. Everything that we're doing in ESG, it's so important. There's no area that won't be able to add some value to it. Yeah. And there's no prototype. You know, there's no unconscious bias to what a CSO should be or should not be. Women are paving the way and it's exhilarating. We're not going to follow the rules. Yeah. Oh, and on that note, that's where we close the show. <laughs> right? Because we are here to transform the norm. Um I want to thank everybody who who joined us today and listened in. I know you are going to leave enlightened after this conversation. And I want to thank our incredible guests, um, you know, Kathy, Sage, Alex, thank you so much for coming and sharing your stories and insights and, and advice and guidance. We always want to thank Voice America for giving me and Next Up that opportunity to share our voice and our mission with all of you, and most importantly, to shine the spotlight on incredible leaders like our guests today and their incredible organizations who practice what we preach. So in our show next week, we're going to take a slight twist here. Um, We're going to talk about how you navigate one of the most challenging of personal pivot points, divorce. So to learn more about Next Up and listen to all of our podcasts, check us out at nextupisnow.org. I'm Sarah Alter, and thank you for always listening. Thanks for listening to Advancing All Women with host Sarah Alter. Be sure to tune in again next week. Our program is live every Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern, 7 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Empowerment or catch our replays weekly on Voice America Influencers. Until we talk again, enjoy your week.